This is the International Anthony Burgess Foundation podcast, and this episode is titled Nothing Like the Sun Revisited. I'm Andrew Biswell. I'm the director of the Burgess Foundation, and this is a conversation with Burgess expert Dr. Rob Spence. To celebrate the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death, we took this opportunity to revisit Burgess's various publications about Shakespeare, including the biography he published in 1970, and A Dead Man in Deptford, Burgess's novel about Christopher Marlowe, one of Shakespeare's contemporaries. But we begin by discussing Burgess's Shakespeare novel, Nothing Like the Sun. So, Rob, do you think that there was any self-identification between Burgess and Shakespeare? I mean, when Burgess is looking at Shakespeare's life, how far do you think he sees elements of his own story there? Well, I think there's, there's quite a lot of identification. Um, Burgess, in his writings about himself, often uh, points out that he's a kind of outsider. He's, he's a Catholic in a Protestant country. Uh, he's got Irish ancestry. He's a, he's, a, he's a boy from the provinces. There's quite a bit of uh, current Shakespeare biographical criticism that suggests that Shakespeare may well have been a closet Catholic. I'm not sure uh, how authentic that, that is. Um, but he was certainly a boy from the provinces who, who had to travel south in order to uh, attain his, his fame. So uh, I, think, I think Shakespeare has, uh, uh, as, a, as a figure, is somebody that Burgess would identify with and see as having a similar kind of background to his own. Um, obviously, you know, they are hundreds of years apart and, the, and there are lots of differences, but you know, there, there's a kind of emotional identification there, I think. Mm. And that Shakespeare's not educated at Oxford or Cambridge. I think that's important to Burgess as well. Well, yeah, Shakespeare is a, is a provincial boy who, who doesn't have the advantages uh, of uh, some of his contemporaries, small Latin and less Greek, all of that. Yes, I'm, I'm sure uh, Burgess would see that as, as uh, chiming with his own life to some extent. Mm. One of the things that strikes me reading Nothing Like the Sun is how indebted the book is to Shakespeare's sonnets. Uh, and it seems to me that, that maybe the general shape of Shakespeare's life has been taken from the sonnets or extrapolated from the sonnets in the way the novel is a reading of those poems. And uh, I wonder if we can say more about how that works, sort of how, what Burgess has found there that he finds imaginatively useful as a novelist. Well, I think, I think the obvious thing to say is that the novel, uh, is the novel of Shakespeare's love life. So that is the key element that, uh, that is provided by the sonnets. And uh, Burgess has, has followed the, the kind of traditional path, really, of constructing uh, uh, a trajectory through the sonnets, uh, which, I, which I think is, you know, again, is maybe something that's contested. You know, there, there, is, there is no contemporary indication that the sonnets are meant to be read as a narrative but we construct a narrative out of them. And that's what Burgess has latched onto. And of course, it's a very dramatic narrative with the dark lady and the young man, uh, the rival poet. Uh, so all of those things are very useful narrative uh, elements for, for Burgess to work with in, in constructing his dramatic tale of, of Shakespeare's love life. 
One of the other writers who's really important to Burgess, I think, is Joyce. Um, partly because, as we know, Joyce's Ulysses is one of Burgess's favourite novels, but also because Joyce was quite interested in Shakespeare too. And there's that big chapter in Ulysses, the library chapter, where they talk about Shakespeare's Hamlet and they talk about Shakespeare's love life, actually, and how perhaps, according to Stephen Dedalus, Shakespeare was cuckolded by one of his brothers. But can we say more about Joyce and his sort of presence in Nothing Like the Sun as this big kind of modernist forebear who's maybe casting a shadow over Burgess's novel. Yeah, I think the perhaps the first thing to say, just taking up that point, is that the version of Shakespeare that emerges in Nothing Like the Sun is arguably based on, on Stephen Dedalus's uh, account in the Scylla and Charybdis chapter of Ulysses. Um, so in a sense, the, the image or, or the, the presentation of Shakespeare that we have in Nothing Like the Sun is uh, very similar to, or taken from almost, uh, that, uh, that account of Shakespeare that we find in Joyce. Um, and certainly the, uh, some of the detail that Burgess uses, for example, his uh, Shakespeare being cuckolded by his, by his brother, is directly lifted from Joyce. Um, but I suppose more strikingly, the presence of Joyce in Nothing Like the Sun is perhaps better announced in some of the, um, some of the stream of consciousness scenes that we find, particularly towards the end of the novel, where um, the, uh, the lecturer, Mr. Burgess, who, who is uh, uh, getting increasingly drunk as a, as a novel progresses, and therefore the narrative becomes more and more disjointed. And towards the end, with Shakespeare's, uh, Shakespeare on his deathbed, uh, it becomes almost completely disjointed. So it is very reminiscent of the Joycean stream of consciousness mode that we find in Ulysses and we find uh, in Finnegan's Way. I think part of the fun of this book, this Shakespeare novel, is that you get all kinds of different narrative styles and techniques, which... Uh, to me, that's very reminiscent of Joyce. For example, we get Shakespeare's diary. He's keeping yeah. this sort of journal or commonplace book. And then another section of the narrative is written in blank verse, as if Shakespeare's been cranking out so many plays. That's the only way he can think. So, so all of the characters speak in blank verse, who he meets. Uh, and then there's a sermon, which is quite reminiscent of Joyce, the portrait of the artist. Of course. The sort of hellfire sermon against... Uh, lust and fornication uh, and those kinds of things, which comes to Shakespeare in a dream. So, um, as you say, there, there's a lot of overlap, I think, in terms of form and technique between the Joyce book and, and this Shakespeare novel as well. Mm. Part of the fun of this Shakespeare book, I think, Nothing Like the Sun, is that Burgess fakes up some Shakespeare poems. He's obviously keen to present this idea of Shakespeare the poet. And one of his ways of doing that is through writing some poems that Shakespeare might have written but actually didn't write because they're Burgess poems. And one of the best of those, it seems to me, comes in part one, chapter three, where Burgess writes on behalf of Shakespeare um, a kind of lost sonnet. Fair is as fair as fair itself allows, and hiding in the dark is not less fair. The married blackness of my mistress's brows is thus fair's home for fair abideth there. 
My love being black, her beauty may not shine, and light so foiled to heat alone may turn. Heat is my heart, my hearth, all earth is mine. Heaven do I scorn when in such hell I burn. All other beauties light, I lightly rate. My love is as my love is, for the dark. In night enthroned, I ask no better state than thus to range nor seek a guiding spark. And childish, I am put to school of night, for to seek light beyond the reach of light. And I wonder, Rob, what do you make of that as a piece of sonnet writing? Well, I, I think it's, it, it seems very canonical. I mean, if you presented that to uh, anybody, really, a Shakespeare expert even, and said, well, you know, we found this, this lost sonnet of, of Shakespeare's, I think it stands up pretty well. Uh, it clearly derives a lot of its language and a lot of its imagery from the, the whole uh, light versus dark white versus black, uh, et cetera, uh, oppositions that, that Shakespeare uses in the sonnets. Uh, and clearly, um, it's, uh, it's about the dark lady. Um, but, it, but it's very, very skillfully done. It works very well. It's expressed in um, very appropriate Shakespearean language. And I, I, I love also the way in the novel that as you read it, you're, you're not quite aware that it's going to be a sonnet because it's not presented to you uh, on the page as, as 14 lines just like that. Uh, you, you get the first few lines and then you get some more narrative and then you get a few more. And it's only when you get to the end of this, a couple of pages later, that you realize, oh, that's a sonnet. Um, and, it's, and it's, as I say, it's in the, in the kind of classic Shakespearean style, does the sort of things that uh, we expect a Shakespearean sonnet to do, and compares very well, I think. One of the things I like about it is that Shakespeare, the character, writes this sonnet. He's at home, surrounded by his family, his mm. parents are there, and his brothers and sisters, and he keeps getting interrupted. And this is of a piece with um, Burdis's character, Enderby, yes. who also writes his poems in quite similar, very chaotic circumstances. And I think what emerges from this is a theory of how, how poetry and how art gets made. It's not in a sort of sealed and silent room. There's life going on mm -hmm. all around it. And one of the things you notice is that Shakespeare finds it incredibly difficult to finish his poem because uh, various members of his family are having a huge fist fight yes. um, around him. Um, the other thing I notice here is that um, it's said of his mother um, that, <laughs> that she's a virago, um, a word that comes to haunt Burgess later on, That's right. um, but virago, I suppose, mean, meaning shrew, a very, you know, kind of Shakespearean uh, idea. So there they all are, kind of tumbling around and, and sort of fighting and eating and drinking, and it, that's one of the things I like about this novel. It's incredibly sort of coarse and bawdy and sort of down-to-earth, almost trying to sort of drag Shakespeare down from this, this, this kind of statuesque hmm. um, status that he enjoys, and, and trying to sort of show how kind of messy and dirty ordinary life is here in this house in Stratford. Maybe we can say something about the language of Nothing Like the Sun, because I think one of the things that makes it unusual among Burgess's novels is uh, that it's written in this uh, approximation of 
uh, Elizabethan English, a kind of imitation. It's not a parody, and it's not a, a kind of perfect pastiche. It's this um, kind of invented or reconstructed pseudo-Shakespearean, pseudo-Elizabethan pseudo language that he's mm. put together for the book. Um, and well, what, what do you make of it as a, as a, a kind of imitation or whatever word we're going to use for it, Rob? It's difficult, isn't it? Because, as you say, it's not... Uh, it, it, it's not because it can't be authentic in, in that sense. We, we don't know, for obvious reasons, exactly what uh, uh, English sounded like then. Um, but, of course, it's worth pointing out that Burgess was uh, very knowledgeable about language and about the history of language, and he wrote about it. So uh, he's very well informed. And what he chooses to do, I think, is, is interesting uh, in that... He doesn't go for the kind of ridiculously exaggerated language that uh, you sometimes see in modern-day versions of this kind of period. So uh, nobody goes around saying gadzooks and zooms. Uh, but uh, he is conscious about using the uh, some appropriate language in, in terms of vocabulary, uh, and he doesn't compromise there, I, I don't think. But, of course, it's, uh, this is a 20th century novel, and, and it reads as such. So it clearly isn't as authentic uh, as all that, but it does very, very clearly and very successfully, I think, convey the flavour of Elizabethan speech. And, um, and certainly the, you know, the dialogue is... Um, is is believable, is credible, uh, so that you 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 know you are not you're not feeling uh, that this is somehow modern speech imposed on a on a on a Elizabethan situation or some kind of ridiculously uh, invented Elizabethan florid language. It's somewhere in between, uh, and I think it works very well. The other thing I guess we should mention is that within Nothing Like the Sun. It's a kind of framed narrative because, as the novel tells us right at the beginning, there is somebody called Mr. Burgess who is giving a lecture and he's drinking this rice wine and he's becoming progressively more and more drunk as time goes on. I am near the end of the wine, sweet lords and lovely ladies, but out there the big wine is being poured, thin, slow, grey. Never more shall I taste the oncoming of this particular darkness, but I shall not be sorry to go. I am not seduced to this life by the dainty lusts clothed in cold green and clean linen of an English spring. If you plunge into that dark there, you will emerge at length into a raging sun and all the fabled islands of my east. And that is what I shall be doing tonight, off like a bird. I see you have your pennies ready, ladies, Twitch not, hop not about, nor writhe so. I shall not be long now. Let's swell a space on the irony of a poet desperately wringing out the lust of his sweetness while the corrosives closed in. It was she, though, the goddess, unseen as yet, but stirring and kicking like a fetus that dictated the titles. For this was indeed much ado, and that what they willed, and the other as they liked it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's clearly uh, an autobiographical reference. Burgess, Mr. Burgess, in in the novel, is giving a lecture to 
the students in Malaya uh, as a kind of farewell um, lecture. And Burgess will have done something similar, no doubt, when he was over there. Um, and we're, we're given to understand that this is the case right at the beginning. Uh, the frame narrative is, is set up, as you say. But I think actually, as the novel progresses, uh, we have to be nudged every now and then uh, to be reminded that this is the narrative ultimately of Mr. Burgess and not uh, a kind of fully realized um, narrative of, of Shakespeare's life. So I, I don't think it actually changes the meaning that much in terms of um, the, way, the impact of the novel on the reader. Uh, what it might do, I suppose, is give Burgess a, a kind of get-out-of-jail card if he's going to be subjected to any criticism about his representation of Shakespeare and Shakespeare's life. He can say legitimately that this is actually all going on in, in the mind or in the, the speech of this rambling, increasingly drunken uh, uh, lecturer in Malaya. So one of the other things that um, occurs to me as we're talking about all this is that Christopher Marlowe is another interest of Burgess's and Marlowe's there right at the beginning of Burgess's writing because he wrote his dissertation when he was a student about Marlowe. And then there's this novel about Shakespeare, which comes, I suppose, you know, kind of in the midpoint of his career as a novelist. Uh, and Marlowe is kind of there and not there in Nothing Like the Sun because he never appears on stage, but he's talked about and his death is reported and Shakespeare... Um, he, in his stream of consciousness, he, he's talking to himself about Dr. Faustus and Tamburlaine and Marlowe's other plays and poor dead Kit, his friend, uh, Kit Marlowe. Um, but of course, towards the end of Burdus's life, um, he published in 1993 another novel called A Dead Man in Deptford, which was a life of Christopher Marlowe. Um, and oddly enough, Marlowe, um, who knows Shakespeare, uh, but in the Marlowe book, uh, Shakespeare does not appear. So you've got a, a set of books about the Elizabethans, and he's done something quite ele elegant here in, in sort of keeping the stories semi-separate and yet sort of uh, referring to each other uh, in that way. What, what do you make of these, Rob, as a pair of novels? I mean, how, how consistent is the Marlowe book with Nothing Like the Sun, do you think? Well, I think you can see them as companion volumes. Um, they both set out to do the same thing, after all, which is to present a fictionalised biography of uh, an Elizabethan playwright figure. Um, and as you say, he, Burgess manages to, to keep the focus on the, uh, the, the main character, Shakespeare or Marlowe, depending on which book, uh, and whilst, whilst acknowledging that the other writer is, is around... Um, he doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't go out of his way to include the other writer in, in each of the novels. The other thing that strikes me is that um, quite a long time, uh, 30 years, has elapsed between writing Nothing Like the Sun and writing Dead Man in Deptford. Um, and yet the style is actually very similar, it seems to me. He, he said, it, it, it seems as though... Maybe uh, at the end of his life, he's, he's reflecting on what he achieved in Nothing Like the Sun and trying to reproduce that style 
um, in Dead Man in Deptford. And I think, uh, again, he's very successful in doing so. It has all the same qualities as Nothing Like the Sun uh, and, and does a, a very similar job. The other point of continuity, maybe, is that there's another unreliable narrator, um, another sort of, as it were, Mr. Burgess character in the Marlowe novel, who's called John Wilson, or Jack Wilson, yes. which is the name of a player in, I think, Shakespeare's company, yes. not Marlowe's company. Um, and I wonder if you could say a bit more about what this Jack Wilson is doing in A Dead Man in Deptford and how he relates to the Mr. Burgess in Nothing Like the Sun. Well, both of them are, are obviously sly and, and rather obvious, in the case of Nothing Like the Sun, personal references. Uh, Burgess is placing himself in his own novel in a very uh, postmodern way, I suppose. And uh, in, in, the, uh, in the later novel, uh, using, using Burgess's original name, which, which happily coincides with this character um, who... Uh, well, well, certainly we'll have come across the name of Marlowe, but perhaps might, uh, might not have exactly coincided with him uh, historically. But nonetheless, there is this character who is a historical figure, and he's given the task in Dead Man in Deptford of uh, presenting the story, in a, again, in a kind of frame narrative of, uh, of Marlowe's life. Um, and I think it's... Uh, it's Burgess's way of, of, of putting his stamp on it, really. He's, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's making sure that we as a reader are aware that this is his, Burgess's, version of uh, this character. And so it's a very kind of personal um, touch, I think. So this isn't the only place uh, where Jack Wilson appears. Um, I mean, not just in A Dead Man in Deptford, but he's there in some other books, isn't he, Rob? Yes, and, uh, well, he, he's there in Nothing Like the Sun. Um, and it's, it's obviously, to, to, to Burgess, it's quite an attractive coincidence that uh, this historical character bears uh, Burgess's original given name. He's John Anthony Burgess Wilson. Um, and so I think it's entirely in keeping with Burgess's uh, playfulness that he uh, manages to... Uh, lever this this character into quite a few of his own writings, and and it's a it's a self-referential thing, obviously, and one which not many people would have been aware of as they're reading it. If you're reading nothing like the Sun, you're reading a, a novel by this this man called Anthony Burgess, and and unless you knew something about his biography at the time, you wouldn't um, take much notice of the fact that there's a character called Jack Wilson. I guess it's a kind of signature as well, isn't it? Because He's there in Little Wilson and Big God. He's mentioned fleetingly. And in This Man and Music, Burgess' mm. book about his life as a composer. Mm. Um, and in the epigraph to his novel, MF, um, Jack Wilson, the name sort of flashes by. So the more you look, I mean, the, the more present he is in mm. quite a few Burgess works. Can we try and sum up? I mean, if we wanted to sum up Burgess on Shakespeare, Rob, what do you think, what do you think Shakespeare meant to Burgess? Um, you know, in, in the whole. I think Shakespeare's a tremendously important figure for Burgess, a touchstone, if you like. Um, he, 
occurs obviously mainly in, in the books that we've mentioned, but it's worth also mentioning, of course, that he, he turns up all over the place in, in, Burgess's, uh, in Burgess's work. So there's the, uh, there's the musical Will, uh, which, uh, which never came to, to fruition. There's Enderby's Dark Lady, where uh, his poet Enderby, who has you know, some similarities with Shakespeare, is, uh, is involved in uh, a play about Shakespeare, which is very similar to The Will. Um, so he keeps cropping up um, in Burgess's work in all kinds of unexpected ways. Uh, and so it seems to me that, that for Burgess, uh, Shakespeare is, is, is possibly the ultimate writer uh, whose, whose work he keeps on coming back to and who he can't, uh, he can't forget, he can't avoid. So uh, he's absolutely central, I think, to, to Burgess's um, sense of what a writer is. He is always there, you're right, because, I mean, even in the Keats novel, uh, ABBA, ABBA, um, you've got sort of Shakespeare, um, you know, with a kind of bit part, because Keats is reading Florio's dictionary and, and using that as a way into sort of Elizabethan English, and, and Keats believes, that the fictional Keats, the character, that Florio gives him a, a kind of access to Shakespeare's language, um, and is therefore a way of kind of contacting Shakespeare. Uh, but I suppose these Shakespeare books, I see them as part of a whole kind of sequence of novels in which Burgess is keen to uh, sort of explore the big movers and shakers of history. I mean, Shakespeare is one of his kind of genius figures along with Joyce, and he gets two nonfiction books out of Joyce and a, an edition of Finnegan's Wake, the shorter Finnegan's Wake, but as time goes on through the 70s, he's also writing about Napoleon. And he's writing about Moses and Jesus Christ, um, Keats, uh, and various other, you know, as it were, sort of genius figures. Mm. Uh, and then St. Paul in um, The Kingdom of the Wicked. And you've got the history of the Roman Empire. So I suppose um, Nothing Like the Sun is his first historical novel. And it, it kind of opens a door, or seems to, into what becomes a very rich series of explorations into these, these kind of exceptional figures who are not quite human, and yet Burgess kind of believes that they, they are, or they may be. He wants to find the human side of, you know, kind of Napoleon or Keats, etc. cetera. Um, but it's very interesting how he can't leave Shakespeare alone, and he keeps sort of going back to him, maybe sometimes indirectly through Marlowe, uh, and that right at the end of his life, in 1993, he was writing this big introduction to uh, Shakespeare's collected works, um, in which he makes the point, you know, that Shakespeare's still a poetic genius, whatever else he may be. Hmm. Uh, and he says you need to understand other writers too to kind of get Shakespeare, um, but he's still the kind of central, unavoidable character in English poetry. He does, and he, and he finishes that introduction with uh, a, an interesting assertion. Um, he talks about it being a great age for drama and says that uh, we, we perhaps need con more contextual knowledge of other, perhaps more, uh, certainly other lesser and, and now maybe largely forgotten playwrights like Peel and Decker. Uh, we need 
to know more about those for context. And he finishes by saying, Shakespeare was a remarkable phenomenon, but no miracle, meaning that he emerged from, from that great explosion of, of uh, dramatic work at the time. And his final sentence is, in our own day, of course, he would be. He would be a remarkable phenomenon. And I, I suppose you know, that summarizes Burgess's uh, reverential approach to, to Shakespeare. Uh, is, he's reverential in the, in the, in the sense of, of, of his admiration, but of course he's also very capable of presenting uh, Shakespeare warts and all in both Nothing Like the Sun and in the Shakespeare biography. Mm. It kind of takes us back to where we started. I mean, I think Burdis is almost making an apology for his Shakespeare novel and its title, as if to say, however bright this star may burn, this novel I've written... It's still nothing like the sun. You've been listening to the International Anthony Burgess Foundation podcast with Andrew Biswell and Rob Spence. The podcast was recorded at the Burgess Foundation and it was produced and edited by Graham Foster. Graham Foster.